We're in Numbers chapters 13 and 14 tonight. Uh, later in the message, I'll also be in Hebrews chapter 3, or 2 and 3, 3 and 4, something like that. And uh, I'll make mention of that later on. We're studying uh, the book of Exodus, or actually the Exodus out of Egypt into freedom. Are you a smartphone zombie? Some are, and it's not difficult to become one. I can become one if I'm not careful about it. In Austria, they're having a real problem with it. Uh, Salzburg has noticed that 40% of their pedestrian accidents are because of people distracted by their smartphones. They have a novel approach to address it. Now they're starting to wrap their light posts with pads to keep people from being injured. And there's a, there's a sign on them too, loosely paraphrased. It says, will the next car be so well padded? Well, what can be true of people and smartphones can also be true in a spiritual sense as well. It is very easy to become distracted as believers, as Christ followers, and forget who we are, what our identity is, what we're called to be, and true. We get distracted for a number of reasons. We're just lazy and taking care of our spiritual walk. Sometimes we are bombarded by life's situations and we become preoccupied by life so much that the Lord is crowded out. Sometimes perhaps we're perturbed with God because we don't think he's doing what he should be doing. He's not answering our prayers in the way that we think he should be answering our prayers. There's any number of reasons that we can, we can become spiritual zombies and be out of touch with what God is trying to do in our lives. When that happens, a kind of wandering can happen in our own lives if we're not careful. This is the story of the Exodus an account of God's people who were enslaved in Egypt and God carried them like on eagle's wings out of, out of slavery into a life of freedom and he's taking them to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a, a land that they would only dream about up to this time. But as, as they begin their journey, after their, after their liberation out of slavery, it's not long before they start this wandering ideal as a consequence of their disobedience. Now, I can't begin to understand how God works. The Bible says his ways are not our ways. The Bible says his thoughts are not our thoughts. Uh, people have asked me in years of ministry, does God send pain in our lives? Does he, does he purposely punish us? And I never know quite the answer to that. I know the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. And so we can expect hard times in life. Now, whether those come only as a result of living in a fallen world that God uses or he purposely sends, saying, I'm not sure. Certainly, he has the right, the authority to do whatever he wants to do. I am convinced whatever he does or whatever he allows, it's only for the purpose of bringing us closer to him, whatever that is. And that God's people are being disciplined for a number of years in their journey because of their, of their lack of faith. And so I, I, I trust that you are honest enough that I will be honest enough to know when we're wandering. Maybe you're here tonight and you are wandering. And you feel like you've been in a rut for a while or you've been going in circles. I trust tonight's message out of the scripture will be helpful. Let's start with a spiritual geography lesson. I want to make sure we understand this metaphor from history 
about what, what is going on in this geography. First of all, we have Egypt, and that represents a person's lost condition. The Bible says when we live outside of Christ's authority and rule, we are in a lost condition. We are orphaned. Um, now, that's not my assessment. That's God's assessment. That's what the Bible says. And I've talked to people before. They say, well, I don't, I don't feel necessarily like I'm lost. It doesn't matter what you feel. That's why we need the Bible to tell us the truth about ourselves. So without Christ, without a Redeemer, we are in a lost condition. That's Egypt. And to, tonight, we're in the wilderness area. And I want to compare that to the carnal Christian. That is the person who believes but is more governed still by the flesh than by the Spirit of God. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers, he said this, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. A carnal Christian believes in God, believes that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, would believe that he's coming back, believes in the resurrection, but there's no life in them. They would be the people that, that maybe even come to church every week. But the, the sum total of any spiritual effort is reduced to that one hour a week. There's nothing more happening. That's a carnal Christian. It's, that, it's not that they don't believe, but there's nothing great going on in their lives. Canaan, we will compare to the spirit-filled Christian. Um, these are the people, God's people, who will find rest in Jesus Christ. This land flowing with milk and honey was to be a land of rest for the people. But they didn't get there because they lacked belief and trust in him. Canaan land is for those who trusted God and his word, his promises. They arrived and, and enjoyed everything he had in them. They, he, they enjoyed joy. They experienced joy, that peace that passes understanding, rest in him. So I want us to learn from Israel tonight so that we can be good assessors of our lives. And when those times of wandering we begin, begin we, can, we can check ourselves and we can get on track where God wants us to be. So let's, uh, let's move on with the tragedy of unbelief. And that brings us to Numbers 13, where um, the people, God's people, are at Kadesh Barnea. It's on the southern tip of Israel, or you might call it Palestine or Canaan land, uh, the land flowing with milk and honey. That's where they are. They've been, they've been months and months traveling since their, since their time in Egypt. They have put together the tabernacle under God's instructions. They have, they have experienced much. Now, 12 spies have been sent into the land to spy out the land that God is giving them. Numbers 13, verse 23 says, When they reached the valley of Eskol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. Can you imagine going to Meyer to buy grapes? And one cluster is so big, you have to have two employees with a big pole carrying to the car. It's a, it's a ridiculous picture, isn't it? But after having not much in the desert for several months, imagine the joy of seeing fruit like they did and pomegranates and figs. It must have been great. Then verse 26, this is the account they give. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. But the people who live here are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak. Anak was a giant person. 
there that the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb, his name means follows God, seriously, follows like a dog. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim now there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Now, that's an interesting comment. Not only do we feel like grasshoppers, but we know that's how they viewed us. But 40 years later, when Joshua and Caleb go in and they spy out the land, they make it to Jericho. Rahab, the prostitute, hides them in her house. And what does she say? Do you remember if you studied? She said, all our hearts in, in Jericho are melted in fear because we heard about your God and all he had done for you people on the other side of the river. So their whole perception of what they think their enemies are thinking of them is completely skewed. Chapter 14, verse 1. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Fear just breeds more fear. And these people are trapped by fear. Joshua and Caleb said, do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. The challenge by God was, look, keep going. Trust me. I'm going to give you this land. The tragedy, of course, is they did not trust the Lord. You can almost picture the scene, can't you, after the reports? All right, all in favor of going in, raise your hand. And Joshua and Caleb raised their hands, and maybe a few family members. Opposed, same sign, and two million people raised their hands. I mean, it was a disturbing night for Joshua and Caleb, these two great men of faith. So God's discipline falls, and it was a tough message to hear. And there are going to be disciplines within discipline in this journey. But there was a penalty they're going to have to, have to deal with. Now, now, keep in mind, these are God's people. And there are some, there are some people who, who compare this, these wandering 40 years with people who never get to heaven. I don't believe that. They are still God's people. They are just missing out on God's, God's best for them. I don't think Canaan represents heaven because when they get to Canaan, they got to keep fighting. They got to keep taking care of enemies. They, they got, they, there are still bad things they have to deal with in the promised land along the way. That's not going to be heaven to us. That's why I think Canaan land represents the spirit-filled life, the life that is fully alive in the Lord. But discipline has to come on his people. You know, uh, someone once said, a bulldog can whip a skunk, but it's just not worth the fight. 
And you know, that's sort of how the Jewish people felt. You know, we, we just don't have it in us to deal with this. The Bible says elsewhere that for 40 years, their sandals never wore out. Their clothes never went threadbare. I, I'm saying he still was sort of with his people, but not to the extent they could have known him. They missed the best. And here's where the penalty comes, chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in the desert. Here they will die. One of the saddest statements in all of Scripture is what we just read. Now think about this. What these people had seen. They saw the miraculous salvation in Egypt when the death angel came over all the Egyptian households. And they heard the weeping and wailing of, the, of those homes where the firstborn had died in the morning. They were spared. They saw this miraculous release of them out of slavery. God provided the spoils to the Egyptian people. They crossed across the Red Sea miraculously on dry ground. The, the enemies following them, the, the, the sea swallowed up. They were led by God in the wilderness area. For, for, for these past months, a, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, they saw the glory of God come and surround the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. They saw it shake. They saw the glory of God descend upon the tabernacle and rest there. And it was so brilliant that Moses himself didn't dare go into the tabernacle when that happened. They saw water come out of a rock when they were thirsty. They got up in the morning and watched miraculously manna appear. And they get here to Kadesh Barnea. We don't think we can trust the Lord. It's almost absolutely unbelievable, isn't it? That despite all of that faithfulness of God, they really believe somehow that he would not be faithful. Now, my question, how do you know if you're wandering? I think it happens in the Christian life. And I think there are wilderness landmarks along the way that alert us to the fact that we're not where God wants us to be. So I'm going to give you several tonight, and you can measure yourself. The first wilderness landmark is spiritual boredom, where the Christian life is just mundane, it is usual, 
It is predictable for you. There's no particular new testimony and energy. The last time you can remember God doing something really uh, uh, personal and wonderful for you was about 10 years ago. There's nothing, nothing recently that you can tell about the Lord. Uh, spiritual boredom is when you go, uh, when we come to the assembly on Sundays, you get in the car and you don't have any conversation about what was just preached or any song that moved you. That there's nothing going on outside the official assembly of God's people. That's a sign of spiritual boredom. These people were so bored with manna in the wilderness. But see, manna wasn't intended to be 40 years. For 40 years, it was a temporary food just until they got to the promised land. But this boredom set in out of their disobedience. Are you spiritually bored? Are you dependent on somebody else to make sure you're fed? Well, it's not enough. Second is constant grumbling. Constant grumbling. This grumbling in our text, of course, was against God and against Moses. Um, they were continually doing that. They were never satisfied. Uh, you know, God isn't doing what I think he should be doing in my life. I pray to him. He's not answering prayers like I think he should. Uh, my life continues to be hit uh, from all sides. Certainly, God isn't that much for me, we might say. That kind of grumbling with God won't work. That kind of the grumbling happens when, when our, our attention is more given to this kingdom, the kingdom of this world, than the kingdom of God. If you're, if you're, more, if you're more interested in pop culture than you are Christian culture? I'm not saying we're not in tune with our culture, not to the society. There are a lot of things in our world that I enjoy, and, and, and they're there for our enjoyment. That, that's all good. But when that becomes an addiction to us, the news apps, uh, 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 Instagram and Facebook feeds, when that consumes us more then any truth we have from God, there's something out of whack. Keith Green was a contemporary Christian artist back in the early 80s. A lot of us liked him back then. Some of you weren't born then probably. But uh, he, he sang a song. He was killed in a plane crash in the early 80s. And he wrote a song called uh, something about out of being out of Egypt. So you want to go back to Egypt. And one of the lyrics was, they once complained for something good to munch. The ground opened up and had some of them for lunch. And that happened. And in and, and, and this journey in the wilderness, the, the, the ground swallowed them up. If you're refusing to go further in intimacy with God and knowing him better, you may be guilty of spiritual boredom. Or, I mean, sorry, constant grumbling. Third is relational conflicts. Uh, these people through the wilderness continue to fight among themselves. They usurp Moses' authority. They want to choose a different leader to take them back to Egypt. One of the worst pictures that we can give to the world is any kind of fighting inside the walls of the church. Now, we're here tonight as broken people. Every one of us is scarred. We all have wounds. We all have families with great family members with great strengths. And you could name a weakness, at least one, in every family member you have, right? I could give you a list of all the weaknesses of the members of my family. And they could get a longer list of mine. 
But you talk about those witnesses, those weaknesses, get out of my life, you know. I'm defensive of them because they're my family. And that's how we need to be in the church, in the body of Christ. Not just this church. I'm talking about the church universal. That we are family together. And one of the worst things we can ever do is expose our weaknesses and our fallacies and our problems to people who do not follow Jesus Christ. It just gives them more fuel for reasons why they, they don't want to be here. Several weeks ago, I did a funeral for Paul Calabro. His son, uh, Dave, you see on the news sometimes, a sportscaster. And I was talking to Dave earlier uh, before the funeral. He told this story about his dad, how his dad modeled so much of the Christian life without being preachy. And he said he, uh, Dave was playing first base at a game. His dad was sitting on third baseline, and a fight uh, ensued on the pitcher's mound. And his dad picked up his lawn chair, folded it, walked by Dave at first base and said, get in the car. Real men don't act that way. And Dave said, you know, my dad didn't go home and call the coach. He didn't call other parents. He didn't rally a meeting or anything. But he taught me a huge thing that day about how mature people act. I appreciate that. We, we, believers don't act that way either. It's not fitting of Christ. The next uh, wilderness landmark is fruitless labor. Now, for 40 years... They are made to wander in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Now, now do bear in mind that it's, it doesn't mean there are no joys in their lives. I mean, in 40 years, lots of couples got married. And there were lots of babies born. So there, were a lot of, there was a lot of joy in the wilderness wanderings. There, there were some occasions they must have had different celebrations along the way. They eked out some crops along the way. It wasn't that nothing good happened, but the best was dismissed out of faithlessness. They never got to enjoy everything that God had for them. And what happens is they end up just in a circle in their lives, just going in circles. There's no progression. And many Christians live the same way in meaningless routine of life. It's just habitual. Now, some habits are really good, right? It's a good habit to be in, be in a church building on Sunday with God's people. But if it's mere habit with no heart, with no surrender, then it's an unhealthy habit. Is there new life in you? Are you discovering new things about walking with Christ? New stuff you learn in the scripture? Are there new joys? Is there new energy? A new testimony? You know, I, I love taking my grandkids to the Children's Museum. I'm glad I have grandkids to take because it would be embarrassing to buy one ticket. And I love the Children's Museum. It gives me a good reason to go, right? So, and my favorite part of the Children's Museum is Playscape. I love Playscape. And I love my young ones. You do too, right? That's good. So, so, so you know that side room there where they have that big uh, machine with all the gears and they put balls in, right? And they, they go up those spirals and they come down inclines and they're all over. And then they come out and you put the ball right back in. It does absolutely nothing, you know? <laughs> really nothing. And there ought to be a sign, this does absolutely nothing, but it's really good at it. And I think there's some believers like that. You know, we, we could wear a sign. This guy does nothing, and he's really good at it. There's no real fruit to show in life. There's nothing, there's just nothing there. How about you? And the fruit I'm talking about is the fruit of Christ, who he is. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And other fruit 
as we become more Christ-like, as, as we allow the Holy Spirit to be in us. The next, moral, uh, the next uh, piece of landscape is moral failure. We don't have time to read it, but in the 25th chapter of Numbers, here is the assembly together, and they're being warned about sexual immorality. And right while they're talking about it, a couple of Israelite men walk through with Moabite women on their arms, taking them into their tents. And boy, does God's judgment th- 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 uh, fall then. But, you know, that, that's that, the audacity to be hearing the word of the Lord and defying it. We live in a culture that is sex-saturated. Everything we look at, almost, there's a temptation there. And we look at the commandments of God, and we think we can look at those and think, well, it doesn't apply to me. I can, I can have sex with my outside of marriage because that's where our culture is today. God will understand, and we're going to get married anyway. Or you start flirting with somebody who's not your wife or not your husband. You start playing with fire a little bit. I would never do anything before you know it. You're sleeping together, or you're walking off out, or you, you dabble in pornography, and you don't have it to the point you don't have a conscience about it anymore. It just is a, it's a normal thing for a man or a woman to do, and we brush it aside. I tell you, all that are, those are symbols of a, of a wandering in our lives that's going on when we don't take God's word seriously. And we think that somehow he's going to laugh it off. And that is not how our God responds to sin. Finally, there's ultimate destruction. The Bible says that God was going to wait until everybody aged 20 and over is going to die in the desert. Uh, what, we've had a lot of funerals here lately, but nothing like the wilderness area where God, had, God waited for over a million people to die in the wilderness. They must have funerals every single day. John Greenleaf Whittier said, of all the words of tongue or pen, the saddest words are, it might have been. And some people have scars and wounds in their lives that wouldn't have had to be there had they come to Christ Jesus earlier in life. And God even today is sparing us from additional scars and wounds. And he'll continue to do that as we are found faithful to him. There's so many who claim belief, but they miss fullness in Jesus Christ. How about you? Are you on your way to fullness, or do you feel like tonight some of these things talked about are indications, they are landmarks of a wandering in my life? Well, there is a remedy for unbelief. And the Bible warns us, the Hebrew writer writes to us, and he writes in chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. So the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years they saw what I did. That, this, that's why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, 
If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Chapter 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Verse 8, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who hears God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from him. His, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience. Great passages for us. Now, here are four landmarks. I'll just touch on them. Four landmarks that you're where you need to be right in Canaan land. The land of promise. The land is rich with milk and honey. Here are the four indications. First of all, you're led by Jesus. And what I mean by that is you are growing in your sense of God's presence. You have an interaction with him throughout your day. Every day there's, a, there's conversation, there's music playing that is moving your heart. You are being attentive to the people that God has put in your path. You are looking for opportunities to be his man, his woman, his young person at school. Whatever it is, um, you, you're, you're, you're desiring to please him. Second, you have victory in Jesus as well. The battles you're dealing with, with the evil one, you're winning. Temptations battle, you are rising above. You are not letting Satan have a foothold, and you have testimony about the goodness of God and how he's walking with you and, and being with you, and he, you're not staying stagnant. Third, you are indwelt by Jesus. That means there is fruit coming out of your life that you can see by measuring your life. You are better off now in Christ than you were a year ago. That there's something happening, moving in you. There's a hunger for God that is growing. It's intensifying. That's an indication. And the fourth one is that you rest in Jesus. In other words, there is a confidence you have in your faith. You don't have to work it up. You don't have to convince yourself that everything is okay because you are growing in obedience to him. You are growing in love for him. You, you love to serve him and worship him. It is evidence in your life. Now, the reason I can talk about these things is even as a minister of the gospel, I have had wandering years. I've had wandering seasons in my life where I didn't stop believing. I didn't stop, I didn't stop doing what I should do. I didn't stop obeying but I got in a rut where I just started wandering, and there was nothing fresh and new in him, even while I was preaching, even while I was doing ministerial duties. And that's why I know that you are prone to that as well. I speak from experience. What about you tonight? You know, nobody wanders into Jesus and life with him, but lots of people wander away from him. It just takes carelessness. In the sanctuary service, there's an old hymn that we sing, and it speaks of my life. It speaks of most of us. It simply says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your majesty, your goodness, your glory, your wonder. Thank you for being the rock of our lives. And forgive us tonight, Father, for seasons of lifelessness or aridness, dryness, 
where we're not producing fruit or we're stuck, we're not seeking you as we should. And I pray for anybody tonight that's really in Egypt, still in slavery to sin tonight, that need Jesus. And I pray tonight we'll be one step closer to wholeness in him. I pray for those tonight, Father, who can identify some wandering going on, being spiritually stuck. And I pray tonight will be a challenge for them to come near the cross of Christ. And I pray for, for all who are enjoying Canaan land right now and are fully alive in you. I pray that more and more will be discovered. Thank you for being a God of great long-suffering with us. Thank you for being a God so worthy of our worship and our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.